Love Talk Radio. Spreading the love worldwide. www.jesusinthemorningradio.com When all foundations have been shaken When I'm left standing in the dark And all I feel is my heart breaking You still reign and you're still God And when it feels all hope is
Hallelujah. I love that song right there. Uh, that is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. You still reign and you're still God. I don't know what's before me, but I can trust your heart. Yeah. Uh, the person, uh, the artist that's singing this is Philippa Hanna. Philippa Hanna. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think that's one of the world's beautiful, most beautiful songs because he still reigns and he's still God. No matter what comes before us, no matter if we don't know where we are going, he still reigns and he is still God. And he is yet on our side this morning in spite of us. I'm grateful unto him. Hallelujah. Welcome to Jesus in the Morning. I'm your host, Evangelist Barbara Pittman of Freedom Doors Ministries, and I come to you live each weekday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and today is October, October the 17th, 2023. Look like I just was looking at the first of October, and it's already 10 months and 17 days into this new year. And so we're grateful unto Almighty God for all he has done. I have some testimonies I want to share this morning. And um, when I heard these, I was like, oh, wow. But these things actually happens. Yeah, in this life, people actually go through some heavy burdens, some super heavy things. And God allow it, and and when they reach out to him, he comes in. Because one thing we'll never be able to do is accuse God, hallelujah, accuse Jehovah for this or that or the other. Yeah, he allows, he, he does allow, but it's not him, it's evil. Evil is always lurking. Evil is always lurking. And a lot of times we're so natural and we're so into the natural things in the earth and of ourselves until we don't realize God, until many times it is too late. We've already gone through the storm and lots of rain, but God deliver us each time. And it's a wonderful thing to share your testimonies as often as possible. Why? Somebody need to know that I can come out of this. I, too, was in the same boat as you are. I, too, went through that. And look at you. What happened? How did you get to be so great? Because I gave God a chance. I began to seek. He is. Who is he? Almighty God, Jehovah, that have all power. He is a rewarder of them that diligently, faithfully, constantly, continually seek him. And I know a lot of times we don't want to do that. We hey, we want to know what's going on in the earth and uh, how we can be spared and how I can save myself. You can't. I promise you, you can't save you. Only God can. Now, if he sleeps, not slumber, his eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And you belong to him. Do you think he's going to allow you to... Uh, get caught up into something that's going to hurt you, and he loves you, no, he will warn you, but it's up to you to take heed. And see, a lot of people, they don't know the warnings, signs of God. They don't know 
when God is speaking, when God is moving. They, they don't know these things. So they stay natural so that they think they can know what's going on. You'll never, you'll never be able to do it. Yeah. And many times you can know what's going on, but it, you can't stop it. You can't save yourself. Only God can. Hallelujah. When I look at COVID, only God could. I never had it. Been all kind of places. Now, didn't even know what a COVID was. Went here, there, and everywhere. During the COVID days, they said don't go get gas and use the gas handle unless you have on gloves. How about many days I forgot all about a glove? When it got me some gas and went on about my business. Don't don't do this. Don't, the only place I really did not like going was to Walmart, and I didn't. Yeah, now that that was God. I know people won't believe me, but that was God. Don't go to Walmart. You don't want COVID, don't go in Walmart. Stay out of there. Because do you know all kind of people come to Walmart? Clean people, dirty people, people that hate people, people that want to see other people suffer. All kind of people come to Walmart. So when God spoke to me and told me to stay out of there and showed me you can stay out of there, or let them bring it to the door. You can go through it and wash it and bring it on in. When I would go out, when it first was so, they said it was so severe, I would go out, thank God for my garage, I would come into the garage out of my truck, spray my truck down with Lysol inside. Pull the clothes off in the garage, come straight into the shower. Yeah, I did all of that. Wash the food, all kind of stuff. And I thank God this morning that I trust him. I depended on him. I didn't listen to the news. I'm sorry. I listened to the spirit of the Lord. And I was spared. Yeah. Listening to the spirit of all my regard that have all power. And when we learn to do this, we're going to be all right. When we learn to listen to Almighty God and Him speaking in our spirit, we, we won't have to chase the prophets. We won't have to chase the prophetess. You can keep your money in your pocket. Because anybody who know anything about a seer, a prophet, a prophetess, when these people bless you with a word from heaven, you give them something. Many people don't know that, but this is what you're supposed to do. And especially it's a right now word many days because that's what the people seeking, what's right now. We have 66 books, and yet we chase after a word. But with the 66 books, you can chase the word, hallelujah, which is going to be here forever. Only what God has said is going to stand throughout eternity. Yeah, yeah. And some people don't like it because they, they're more natural than spiritual. I don't need all of that. I, and let me tell you, if I need it, God will send somebody. I promise you, some days I can be on Facebook or, or going on Facebook. Don't know what's going on. Minding my business. I've been in prayer. I've been talking to the Lord, and I trust him. And he know me, and I know him. So guess what? It'll pop right up on Facebook. 
Sometimes I don't I don't even do that. Sometimes Chantel call me. Mama, did you know this going on? Somebody else may call me or text me. Barbara, have you saw this? Why? <laughs> he sleeps now slumber. His eyes are in every place. He's beholding the evil and the good. But see, you have to know him. You really have to know him. You, you can't have a form of godliness denying the power thereof. You really got to know him, and you really got to be a Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 person. You got to trust him with that whole heart. You got to trust him with the eyes closed. You have to trust him with your eyes open. You have to trust him while you sleep. Huh? You have to trust him when you don't know which way to go. Sometimes you just have to stand still and know that he is God. Ooh, I love him. He still reigns, and he's still God. I love him this morning because it was him that first loved me. Without his love, I wouldn't know what love is today. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful unto him. I appreciate him. That I appreciate Almighty God that have all power. Ooh, and the good news is this. He is on our side today. In spite of us, we just really deserve death. Because even our righteousness is as filthy rags. But we walk around and we act like we deserve more. We act like God should do it for me. Yeah, we walk around men and he better do it. I've heard people say they go to God and tell her, I'm not going to do this unless you, no, I'm, I'm not that kind. <laughs> I humble myself before him. And I let him know, Lord, if you don't do it, it won't get done. I don't never get up in it with God. I don't never become an adult in his eyes. I stay humble as a child. Because that's what keeps you blessed. He says one thing, you says another. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not that way. His words say don't do this and don't do that, and I'm boldly doing it. And don't care who knows. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And women, be careful with these men. A lot of women, they don't, they don't want to deal with me because I, I tell them the truth about men. Listen, sit down and be a lady. Stop being a female out here and just a woman. Sit down and be a lady. Sit down and let God bless you. And tell yourself, if he never blessed you with a husband, Lord, I got you. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear Big John is coming, Big John is coming, Big John is coming. That's what they want to hear. Then they want to get on Facebook and lie. Big John came and he did this for me. Big John give me roses every week. Big John is giving you a hard time over there and he's not working and you taking care of him. Big John home playing video games and you on the job. Mm-mm. That's not God. That's you. So again this morning we got to work on allowing our flesh to die so that he can live in us. Because we can't serve two masters. We can't serve the flesh and God. We got to love one and hate the other, hate one and love the other. I've never seen so many women after men. They don't give the men a chance to be after them. And then a lot of mothers have not trained their boys how to be good to women because the mothers wasn't good to them. 
So they have a lot of childhood issues. And in, in grown men's bodies, got the age of a grown man, but the mind of a little boy. So ladies, be careful and let God bless you. And if God don't bless you, you don't want it. I'm here to tell you. It's going to cause you more problems than anything else that you can imagine. Same thing with men. Be careful. Be careful. Godly men. I'm just not talking to anybody. Godly men. Godly women. Get in the word so you'll know what God says about a relationship and what God says the way a man is supposed to treat a woman and the way a woman is supposed to treat a man. If you don't know, you'll go for the okey-doke. You'll fall for anything. Yeah. I do it every Monday at 7 p.m. And thank God for Sister Irene because I would miss it a lot of Mondays. And she re- she remind me, but way before 7, around 6, are you doing it tonight? <laughs> I do uh, a segment on Facebook called The T. And what The T is, is the talk, and it's for women. And right now, some women really don't want to be bothered with it because we're not talking about relationships. We're not talking about husbands and wives. Now, we're going to keep that going. Week before last, we talked about money. Last night, we talked about how things have changed in the world. And so Sister Irene come. I, I wasn't able to be seen, but we could see Sister Irene. So she come, and she shared, and I shared, and I had a really wonderful time. So on Facebook, it's called The T. And the letter T stands for talk, the talk. So ladies, if y'all want to join us on Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, I'm going to put a link on my Facebook page, and I put it over on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere so that you can find me. Uh, this morning, I want to go to this, which is the store. Uh, he's working on it. There was a T-shirt he put in there, and the T-shirt said something about cocaine. And a lot of people caught it, and they got in touch with me. So I wrote him, and he's in Pakistan. He built my store, beautiful store. And so he told me this morning, uh, a little bit later in the morning, he will come and take all that down, and he will, you know, add some more stuff to the store for me for free because he made a mistake. I asked him, did he know what Christian ministry is? He said he knew, but he couldn't have known. Not putting that T-shirt up there. Oh, I was embarrassed. I was angry. I was all kind of things over there. Why would you do that? But see, the enemy have to come. If God is there, the enemy is coming. And we know what his job is, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But that was not going to destroy me, and it haven't killed anything, because the true people of God that know me know I didn't have nothing to do with that. There's no way she would have put that up there. Yeah. So, uh... This morning, we thank God for all he has done and what he's doing right now and what he's going to do great and mighty things for us. And we're so thankful unto him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Without him again today, we can do nothing. And uh, we thank him uh, that he's on our side again today in spite of us. Oh, you can't find it, Brother Louis. Let me give you the store. Listen, we're going to one more song of the morning. 
And uh, when we come back, we're coming back with our morning prayer. And uh, after morning prayer, we're going to cover it a little bit more, maybe a few more announcements. And then we're going in with our topic uh, for today. And uh, our topic is this, calm down and pray. Calm down and pray. I see too many Christians up in the air over nothing. Instead of being all flustered and everything, we should calm down and learn to pray. Yeah, watch as well as pray. Yeah, and we won't get our blood pressure all up and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, we're going with Dion this morning, and he said, trust in the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, we come this morning before you bow down in humbleness. We thank you for this day. 
We thank you, Lord, for waking us up this morning, closing our right minds. We thank you for the use and activities of our limbs, our life, our health, and our strength. We thank you today, Father, for you've given us another opportunity to get it right with you. You've given us another chance to talk of your wondrous works and make known your deeds among the people. We're excited in you this morning, and we're grateful unto you. We appreciate you, and Father, we love you this day because it was you who first loved us. We come this morning bow down asking for forgiveness of all our sins and all our wrongdoings, our wrong thoughts, our wrong speakings, our wrong feelings. And Father, though our sins be as scarlet, we ask this morning that you would wash us as white as snow. Cleanse us this morning from all unrighteousness. And Father, give us a clean heart this morning and renew the right spirit within us. In the name of Jesus, we ask. We thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. We thank you for putting our sins and wrongdoings in the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember them again. Father, you put it as far as the east is from the west, and we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, because we have to get it right with you. And Father, if we get it right with you, then we have it right with man, whether man respected or not. So we're thankful unto you this morning for all you've done, what you're doing right now, and Father, what you're going to do. Great and mighty things for your people. We come this morning, for Father, many times we don't know what we need. We don't really know what we want. Many times we think we know, but we don't. But we ask today that you would supply the need in our lives and for our lives according to your riches and glory, by your Son, Christ Jesus. We ask this morning that you would lead and guide us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Lead and guide us into a place, God, where you're pleased and you can accept the way that we go. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We bring every call and every listener before you this morning. And, Father, we ask that you would bless them. Bless their family and friends. Bless their house, oh God. Lord, we ask that you would send your anointing through. And anything that shouldn't be, Father, you would remove it. And Lord, you would establish blessings and uncommon miracles there today, Father, in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, because we believe it's your will. Hallelujah. We never want to go against your will. And Father, we believe. Hallelujah that you're willing and able uh, to do what we need and more. Thank you this morning. Father, we bring those that are sick before you, and we ask that you would touch and heal today. We know you took a beating for the healing of the nation, and there's yet healing in the hem of your garment. The woman pressed in, and she touched and was made whole. And, God, we're pressing in this morning to touch so that we can be made whole. Whatever sickness it is, whatever disease it may be, we know that you heal all manner of sickness and disease. And, Father, there's nothing too hard for you to do. Do it for your people this morning. Heal and send your healing power. And, God, let them feel your presence of healing today in the name of Jesus. We thank you right now. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We thank you this morning. Thank you for your healing. Hallelujah. Oh, we give you glory. 
We give you the honor and praise for your healing today, whatever it may be, back problem, neck problem, ear problem, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart problem, infections, fevers, whatever it may be today. Father, we know you're a healer. Hallelujah. And we trust you this morning uh, that you heal your people in the name of Jesus. And Father, we come asking that you would bless those that are incarcerated, those that are in every branch of the military, widowers and bereaved families and intercessory prayer people. Father, preachers everywhere, preaching in the name of Jesus and obedience unto you and love for your people. Father, we ask that you would bless Israel and prosper Jerusalem. And Father, we ask that you would have mercy. You know what's going on. We don't know. We hear what the media say and we see what has been shown to us. But God, you truly know what's going on and what has gone on. And Lord, we ask that you would fix it and that you would bring peace in the middle of confusion. In the name of Jesus, we trust you today, Lord. You're all we have. Hallelujah. And without you, we can do nothing. We come this morning asking that you would bless this segment of Jesus in the morning. Move here today. Have your way, Father. Bless your people. Send a word that they will remember throughout eternity in the name of Jesus. Bless our brothers and sisters overseas everywhere. And Lord, those that can't speak your name, those that can't speak your word, they, they can't read, they can't let nobody know they're followers of your son, Jesus Christ. They have your written word, the Bible, the Holy Bible, a King James Version. God, they can't let nobody know because they'll be murdered for it. So, Lord, we ask that you would continue to lose your ministering angels, lose your protecting angels, oh God, to stand watch, to shield and protect them, keep them from all hurt, harm, or danger. In the name of Jesus, we thank you this morning, Father, for all you've done for us. We can't thank you enough. We can't thank you that right now we are at peace. We're not at war. And God, we give you glory. We give you the honor. The Lord, you yet let us have a certain measure of freedom. And God, we are so free, many of us, until we turn into fools, absolute idiots, because of the freedom that you have allowed us. But Father, this morning, we ask, touching and agreeing, that you would bring every American on their knees in repentance unto you. And that, God, they would turn their back on foolishness, turn their back on the natural. And that, God, they would embrace you wholeheartedly, spiritually, in the name of Jesus. Lord, send those that are lost. As we lift you up, draw, because it's the only way they can come. If you don't draw, they can't come, Father. Do it today. You wish that none should perish. And, Lord, we are concerned about the lost. For the harvest is plenteous. Father, your labors are few. And we ask this morning that you would send more labors into the vineyard. But Lord, we ask today, hey, glory, that you would remember the labor that you called and chose us for. Lord, we ask that you would use us today in your service to be a blessing unto your people. Strengthen us in this hour. Don't let us get caught up into the world and the ways of the world and the things of the world. Don't let us lean to our own understanding. Help us to acknowledge you in all our ways. And Lord, it's you that will direct our path. Help us today, O oh God, 
in the name of Jesus. Men are perishing. And Lord, they don't know which way to go. Men are yet walking in their flesh, but saying your name. Help us all today to sell out 100% to you in the name of Jesus. Oh, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to come before you. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory. We give you the honor this morning. And Father, we give you the praise. For there's none like you. We love you today. Hallelujah. And we want what's pleasing and acceptable unto you. Bless us today, O oh God, to be for you and not against you. For your word says, either we for you or against you. And if we don't obey you, we're disobedient and we're working witchcraft. We're witches and warlocks. Help us today to obey in the name of Jesus. Oh, we thank you. Mm. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for showing us the way. Oh, we give you glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Asking it all again in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Then hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. There's none like him. Hallelujah. There is none like him. We can search all over. We won't find nobody. Nobody greater than Almighty God. Hallelujah. Area code 813, please forgive me. First three numbers, 646. Please forgive me for not acknowledging you. I saw you quite a few times. And I was intending to say good morning and uh, acknowledge you and kept right on going. And I said, the next time I see that 813, I am going to say something to them and tell them thank you so much for tuning in with us, for joining in. Hallelujah. We give God glory. We give God the honor and the praise for every caller and every listener and those that are coming through the podcast and the archives. We give you glory. Sometimes people are working and they hear the show. They lie, but they don't get the gist of everything. So they go back through the archive or through the podcast and they take a listen. And then I have a sister uh, that listens. And uh, I wrote her yesterday to tell her about the store. And so she wrote me back and told me about the T-shirt. And uh, she said she liked the store. It was very nice. About a week or so, she interviewed me on her podcast. And when I tell you, we had a good time. I really enjoyed talking to her and the questions that she asked me. And we had to come back and do another hour because, you know, I'm long-winded. And a lot has gone on in my life. I have some testimony. Ah! Oh, God has blessed me. And I have to stand up for him. I can't do nothing else but stand up for him. Yeah, I can't play around like most people. Because to whom much is given, much is required. He gave me life, my life. He gave me health, my health. He gave me strength, my strength. You see, he did something. He brought me up out the muck in the Mari clay. I don't have time to play about this thing. He's real to me, and I know he's real. Oh, he's been good to me. I can't begin to tell you all. Hallelujah. You get a little pieces and bits here and there. But there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. And when you've gone through what I've gone through and you come out, you know it was the true and living God that brought you this far. You know it was the true and living God who did for you what has been done. You can't look at the world. You can't look at your flesh and say, I did it. 
I went to the psychiatrist and they put me on medicine. Now they, no, 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 you can't say none of that. I didn't, I, I didn't even think of a psychiatrist. I didn't think of a doctor. I didn't have a best friend I could go to. I know my dad is a God-fearing man, but I couldn't even go to my daddy. He couldn't save me. Oh, but look at here, just come to me. You tried everything else. Try God. Hallelujah. And when I went to him, he had no wise cast me out. All the dirt and ugly I had done, he did not cast me out. He didn't remind me, well, see, I would bring you out, but you were selling dope. You see, Barbara, I would bring you out, but you was over there drinking Crown Royal and smoking weed. (laughs) I would bring you out, Barbara, but you was over there at the French Quarters clubbing every night. I would bring you out, Barbara, but see, you you sit on the porch and drink them beers. (laughs) I would bring you out, Barbara, but when you got ready, after you smoked your weed, then you want to chase it down with some wine. No, he didn't do that. I would bring you out, but you laid with too many men that you wasn't married to. You was a fornicator and a whore. I, I can't, that's not what he did. He come right in because he said, come unto me all that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I was burdened. I was heavy laden. And when I went to him, he fixed. And I'm telling you, he fixed it in a way where I could never go back. As a matter of fact, I don't ever want to go back. Today, without him, I wouldn't know which way to go. One woman told me, she said, well, you've been out the loop so so long, you don't know how to date anyway. Well, guess what, Sugarfoot? I don't want to date nobody. If it was that kind of party, God would give me a husband. Date. Rebecca and that boy Jacob Lewis, they ain't do no dating. They went in and got married. Ooh, look at him. They ain't talking about, oh, you're going to take me to dinner. Dinner? Girl, you better get out there and kill a chicken or something, wring his neck and pluck him and clean him and come on in here and fry him up. So we'll have dinner. Huh? But see, we don't get the gist of the word of God. We don't really get the gist of the Holy Spirit. We think he's something else. You know, he's supposed to, when we're in trouble, when we done messed ourselves up, then God comes. Now, look here. Every day of your life, you should be seeking him. When things are calm and peaceful and nice and loving, you should seek him with your whole heart then like you've never sought him before. When trouble comes, he'll just step up in your life and just say, hold up. Don't, don't worry about it. saying I got this. Because he know you. But when you're hitting and miss, I know you think he knows you. <laughs> well, he do know you, but I know you think he's going uh-huh. to do something all right. Let you have your way. <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. But God is safer, and he loves us in spite of. Hallelujah. Good morning, Minister Shonda. I know you weren't able to find the tea last night. But I promise you today and every day until next Monday, I am going to work on StreamYard. And we want to get everybody uh, into the chat and everybody who want to be on the screen, uh, on stage, in other words, we want to get you get you in. And each lady from Jesus in the morning, I'd like for you to come to the tea. 
And at one point or another, when you feel comfortable, if you ever feel comfortable, I like for you to be the morning guest. I mean, the evening guest. Monday evening, seven a seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. And uh, to get to the store today, if you'll go to https, the two colons, two forward slashes, jesusinthemorning.net, you'll find the store. Yeah. And I believe if you just type in jesusinthemorning.net, I believe you'll find it. So check out the store, the book, I mean, the T-shirt there with the cocaine words on it earlier in the morning, later in the morning, he's coming to remove all of that. And he's going to add some new product to the store. So I'd like for you to support me. If you don't do nothing but buy a $10 or $14 book, notebook or something from over there. Because what that's going to do is going to help a lot of people to eat, to sleep, to have a roof over their head. It's going to help y'all to get prizes and gifts. I got to uh, uh, announce Brother Anthony's gift. I got to look in the bag and see. Because, see, he like gadgets and gadgets like I do. So um, I looked in there, and I'm thinking he'll get a, a keyboard, a little a miniature keyboard that go to the cell phone. Or he might get the printer, because that's what he liked, that kind of gadget, gadgety stuff. But anyway, uh, we thank God. We thank God we have a winner, and I announced it yesterday, Brother Anthony. And uh, next week, uh, next Monday, we'll have another winner. And uh, I, I got my little box and the names, and then I shake it up. And when I pull the name, the gift usually is already on it. But for some reason, I didn't do Brother Anthony. So I got a right here's on there, and I announce it over on the Jesus in the Morning page, not the group, but the page. And um, I appreciate Sister Irene, and I appreciate Sister Dorothy Goodman. God bless both of you ladies for all your hard work. I thank you so much for helping me to keep up with stuff. And uh, Sister Dot Man, that prayer club over there. Every morning she put a prayer, uh, I mean a scripture over there. And I think and Sister Irene prays a lot over there. So I thank you so much. And Sister Irene, I thank you for where I am. You can find me. You're very savvy. And so I thank God for that because many times if you wasn't there, it wouldn't be. Because I don't know how to, you know, fix it. So I thank God for you this morning. I want to give you your flowers to both of you while you're living and let you know I love you and I truly, truly appreciate all of your help. And I anybody else that's a little savvy on the computer that wanna help out, I really appreciate you. And these ladies look for no payment of any kind. Yeah. So I I have to send y'all a gift of some kind. Yeah. And I will. I will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So listen, we're moving right along this morning. And now this particular song says this that I'm going to next. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself because there's no one around to encourage you. And see, sometimes we're looking for the pastor, we're looking for preachers, prophets, or anybody that will encourage us. This is what we're looking for. And, and many times it's because uh, we don't want to turn loose our flesh. We don't want to walk away from it. So we, we dwelling on it. 
whatever it is that's bothering us, that we want to change in our lives. But you have to encourage yourself and encourage yourself in God. Yeah, that's where you want encouragement at. You don't want the same kind of encouragement of the world. Because that, that won't last. But encouragement from Almighty God, from his word, from a, a, a good gospel song, that, that can last you forever. His word can last you forever if you will apply it and walk accordingly. You have to learn how to make your flesh behave. The natural man, the natural woman, make them behave and say, this is not what God said, so this is not what I can do. I can do what the word of God said and press your way through to get it done. Hallelujah. This one says, encourage yourself in the Lord. Hallelujah, Mr. Donald Lawrence. Thank you. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, Mr. Donna Lawrence. And encourage yourself, encourage yourself in the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So I wanted to make those few announcements and and share a few words of encouragement and a few words of Zion um, because we, we, we got to get real serious about the business of the Lord, real serious. Because in this hour, we can expect anything to jump off. Anything can happen. And if we're not prepared, we will be lost. And we need to remember and stay with as often as possible. Luke 21. And if you can get over to Revelations, go on over to Revelations and and take a look down in there and ask God to give you wisdom, give you understanding more than anything else of his word over there in Revelation and even of Luke 21. So you can be preparing. If ever there was a time to prepare, now is that time. Because when God returned, it's too late. He gave us plenty of time to prepare for his return. We got to stop ourselves, get in the word, let the word get in us. Stop ourselves and have a personal Prayer life, a personal Bible study life. It's okay to go to Wednesday night Bible study at the church and let the pastor teach us. But we got to learn God for ourselves and let God give us the understanding of his word. I've said it many times. Uh, I can send a letter. I can send a letter to Sister Dot. And uh, she don't understand what I said. In the letter, she just happened to run across Minister Shonda. And she said, Minister Shonda, uh, Sister Barbara sent me this letter. I don't quite understand it. Can you understand it? She get a letter to Shonda. Shonda read the letter. She don't understand it either. 
So what Shonda says to Dorothy is this. Let's call Sister Barbara. Let's go to her. She wrote the letter. Or she inspired her secretary to write the letter. So let's go to her and ask her what it means. Who could better give them an understanding of that letter that I wrote than anybody else? I'm the best person they could have contacted to get the understanding. There's no need for them to call Brother Louis in and say, Louis, Barbara sent a letter. What does this mean, Louis? I read, Barbara sent this letter. Do y'all know what it is? No, nobody's going to know the real deal. More than Barbara, I had my secretary to write it. The type, I told her what to type out in the letter. They asked the secretary about it. She didn't really understand. But when they got a hold of me, I broke it down line by line, precept by precept for her. Now everybody got the understanding, the same understanding of the letter that I had the secretary to write. You understand? We need to go to God for everything. We need to trust him in all things. A-L-L. That's a big, big word. All things. We need to trust God. Hallelujah. Because there's some stuff coming our way. And if you haven't been practicing, if you haven't been preparing, you'll miss it. And I can't tell you what it might affect in your life. Hallelujah, Jesus. So we thank him this morning. Listen, we're going to our first testimony of the morning. And uh, today, if you have something you want to say at 9 a.m., press that number one and come in today. You may have a scripture. You may have a poem. You may have a testimony. Uh, you may have something else you want to share. Feel free. Hallelujah. So let's go to this one, the first testimony of the morning. God is faithful. Thank you, Lord. My mum was there, my sister-in-law was there, and they started to beat me. And this was a different kind of beating. It was almost as though they were determined to kill me. And all my life I'd been threatened that we will bury you under these floorboards, and I really believed they would. And within no time, they'd broken my jaw. They had broken my arm, and... I was in a lot of pain. So my parents originate from the Punjab in North India. They came over in the 1960s, and I always say that they packed very tightly their cultural beliefs. And unfortunately for me, um, that meant that girls were not wanted or desired, but boys were. So I was looked upon as a um, bad entity, almost like a witch or a possessed child. So everyone wouldn't touch me or welcome me or hold me because they felt I was um, carrying bad spirits. Were you the only girl in your household? So I'm the youngest of three. I have two older brothers and I'm the only girl born in my immediate family, but also the only girl in my extended family with my father being one of seven brothers. My normality was such that I was kept in my room at the age of six. My room wasn't like a, ch- a, ch- a child's bedroom whereby it's got nice furnishings and soft toys. It was very bare, brick walls. The only time I was allowed out of my room was to go to school or my mother would call me to cook. 
or I would be called to do another chore like washing the plates or dishes or um, the clothes because we didn't have washing machines. And um, I had no interaction with my family. I didn't make eye contact. Girls are told to look down all the time and I still have a bit of an issue making eye contact with people, um, primarily because we, we get hit if we make eye contact. We get shouted at. So I was non-verbal because I didn't engage in conversation with my family. I had to nod, not speak. I used to press my ear against a very rough wooden door and listen into TV programs and pretend I was sitting with my family. But my friend at school would walk me to school and sing me all the songs from Top of the Pops, and that's how I knew a lot of music. I amused myself with books. I've got a love of books still. Um, I used to take as many books from school as I could because... They were my friends. I would name them. And I really believed in fairy tales and that I was Rapunzel. And then one day I would be saved from my room. What was your relationship with your parents like? I was very scared of my mother and father. And a lot of people don't understand that women play a big role in my community as much as other communities that are like mine and cultures that are like mine, whereby the person that would call me out of my room would be my mother the person that was um, watching a lot of my abuse was my mother, and she herself was very angry all the time just by my existence. I wanted to please my father. I would go out of my way to do things to make my father happy. And by that, I mean I would cook food as quickly as I could, and most kids have a toy they remember from their childhood, but I remember he brought me back a blue crate that had bottles in it, and I turned it upside down, which meant when I was a little six-year-old, seven-year-old, I could reach everything so much quicker in the kitchen, and I felt maybe that was an extension of his love to me as well. Um, and you mentioned that you were able to go to school. What was school like for you? So school should have been an escape, and it was to a certain point because of the books and the teachers were quite pleasant, but I was the only person of colour in my school with my brother, so you would hear the word scrap and people running, and it was because I was being piled upon and beaten, or it was my brother being beaten. My hair was pulled, I was spat upon, and every day was a bit of a battle in a different way. Um, I had literally a couple of friends because nobody wanted to be my friend because they too would be picked on. But the ones I had were very loyal and very loving, and I wasn't allowed a lunchbox. And my first experience of jam, sandwich jam sandwiches was because my friend offered me one of hers knowing that I wasn't getting any food at lunch times, And, you know, I remember making that little jam sandwich last for the whole of the lunchtime so I could be part of the lunchtime community sitting inside instead of sitting on a bench waiting. So my father, from the age of sort of seven upwards, would bring back a, a group of his friends, and I knew them all. And in my culture, you don't say names. You say uncle or auntie to anyone that's older than you. And they would come and they would eat and they would drink. And my father owned a lot of pubs. So my father was the place to go to because he had the alcohol. And, you know, he would come back from the pub and my mother was the one who would wake me and say, go down. She would go back to bed and I would go and cook rice and chapatis and chicken and some vegetables. And I would take them on a tray. Then I would sit on the bottom of our large wooden staircase waiting for them to finish because my father didn't like mess. And when I got to 14, um, my mother woke me up and instinctively I had this horrible feeling. I remember taking the food in 
and waiting. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go and pick the dishes up because they're exceptionally loud. They'd started to bring bottles outside. My father used to put the empty bottles outside and there was bottles of Johnny Walker all lined up. And then when I did get the call, um, I went in with the big tray that we had. It was a big white tray, probably bigger than me. And he grabbed my wrist and the tray fell down. And he was the first person to throw me onto the table and rape me. I didn't know what was happening. I was too young. I closed my eyes. But I I lived without um, the ability to see. So I knew each person's sound of who it was, each person's touch almost. And it was a very horrific attack by seven or eight men on me. And I... um, was thrown from person to person. I was beaten. I was bitten. And eventually I must have passed out. And when I came to, it was because my mother opened and closed the door and woke me up. And I remember not having my bottom part of my clothes on. And I was literally lying in a bath of my own blood. And the first thing I thought about was there's food everywhere on the walls, on the floor, and I'm going to be in so much trouble. I didn't actually give myself any consideration because I believed I wasn't worth anything because that's what they had taught me from birth to believe. You mentioned your mother, so how did she respond straight after this attack? Well, my mother was the one who woke me up. As I said, she opened and closed the door several times. And she was angry, you know. Um, It's all about perception. I look back sometimes and I say, could she have done anything? Um, Did she show any act of kindness? And I know that she was the one who gave me a new set of pyjamas was that an act of kindness or was she just doing that I don't know but she could have at some point just come to see me and stroke my hair or give me some comfort but she was just angry and almost made me feel that it was my fault that I had asked for it that it was me that had instigated the whole attack I was so naive I didn't understand what happened you know we don't have conversations about periods or sex, or relationships in my culture or cultures like it. It's a taboo to even think about it. So I just knew it was wrong, but I didn't... School back then didn't teach us these things. Um, And all I knew is that it was wrong, and I didn't feel like me anymore. She allowed me to have a shower, and I was never allowed to shower. My brothers were. Um, They used to make me have bucket baths, which meant you have a bucket and you fill it up, and then you use a a jug to wash yourself but on this instant she told me to have a shower and again I thought maybe she was being kind but the shower really stunk so where I'd been bitten where I had open wounds it really stung and I kind of wished I had had the bucket bath but after that I had just asked her if I could go to sleep because I was in so much agony I was in a lot of internal pain naturally but the mental pain was almost that I felt broken. I just felt like that was it. That was um, the end of me.
And were you living in fear that something might happen again? I used to walk in with that tray with my legs shaking from that day forward. So every Friday or Saturday when my father would bring his friends, I was visibly shaking and scared because I was sure they would try to do something again. And then not knowing it's torture, there's no other word for it, but it was always upon me to go and face them every weekend and and give them this food. I turned 15 and I realised I was pregnant and I told my mum that I was no longer having periods and I didn't know I was pregnant but she told me that I had spoilt myself. Uh, My dad was called immediately, he came and they both sent me to my room and they were shouting at each other and before I knew it, I was in the car and I'd never been in my father's car and I remember it was a a blue Humber Scepter and I'm sat in the back looking at the trees and the clouds and wondering where I was going and they took me somewhere in the West Midlands to a clinic and I remember arriving in the clinic and there were lots of women. I remember the whole procedure and this was the clinic where I was going to have an abortion. The thing I always talk about is the act of kindness from this whole experience of this abortion because It was the first time someone had actually extended love to me and it was in the form of a lady where after the procedure they make everyone sit on a grass verge and I had my sort of clinic gown on and she brought me a cup of tea but it wasn't the tea that she handed me, it wasn't the fact that she handed me tea, it was the fact she reached out and touched my hair and stroked me in a very maternal way. And I think it doesn't matter how old you are, we all crave love. And I realised at that point I really was craving some love from another human. And I realised as well that maybe I wasn't as bad because she didn't catch anything by touching me. And I was told all my life and believed it that if someone touched me they would catch this evilness that I was containing. Um, Mm. And when we got home, on the way home, my parents were really upset saying what are we going to do with her this is such a problem nobody will marry her because to get an arranged marriage you have to be a virgin and I wasn't a virgin and I blamed myself so my father was really anxious for a while after the abortion saying that what will we do how are we going to do this what we're going to do with her and there was talks about me being sent to India where they would either marry me to an older man or kill me One of the people that had raped me came forward. He was the person that bit me. And he came forward and said that he would take me. He wanted to have me in his house so that he could have me as a sex slave and his wife could have a servant. But his son was dating a white English girl. And in our culture, that's not allowed, but it's very common. And they were going to have me marry the son so that the community thought that the son was good. It was a sham wedding. It was very rushed I was very young but my father and he started to trade make a trade for me Um, they placed a silk scarf over my head and I was forced to sit down and I have a few pictures and I look at those pictures and think what was going through your head you look so scared because I thought when I go to his house will he call his friends will I be a victim again of a group rape I didn't know what to expect and um my father and he argued about gold and money 
And eventually they came to an agreement and everyone was happy. And I kept hearing this word, happy, happy, happy. And I didn't know what happy was. I got to the age of 16 and I was married. And when I walked into the marital home, I first of all noticed how small it was. And they led me to a room and said, this is your room downstairs. We sleep upstairs, but you don't. And the room was like a makeshift cupboard with a small bed and an open um, space for clothes. They took all of my gold that I was wearing for the wedding ceremony. They took all of my belongings and they handed me old things and said, I must get a job. I didn't really ever speak to the person I was married to. He was living his life. He was happy. I don't think people understand that cultures like mine, the in-laws, play a very big part in mental abuse and physical abuse and often sexual abuse. It's not spoken about because there's a taboo is a stigma of saying anything, but the amount of mental abuse a bride or a girl experiences from her in-laws is actually, it destroys that person. I was told that I would do all of the cooking and there was no door so that I could be accessible to my father-in-law who would come in and rape me and attack me and threaten me. He had a real craving for control and to scare me, which he did. There was a thing in the 90s called the bride burning, which meant there was a lot of brides being burnt in the area I lived. And what I mean by that is they were giving their husbands baby girls. So the women from the community and the mother-in-laws and the father-in-laws would blame the bride and they would pour petrol over the girl and set her on fire. And the police would turn up and disappear thinking it was a suicide and they would say that they didn't know what to do, they didn't want to get mixed up in it. So I was literally dodging my father-in-law because on the weekends he would tie me up with metal coat hangers around my ankles and the metal would actually dig into my skin and he would strip me so I couldn't move. I would sit there and um, soil myself because I couldn't use the bathroom and I was really, really scared. I was scared of everything. I was very skinny because I had an eating disorder. Every time I would plate some food at the end of preparing a meal, my mother-in-law would throw it into the dustbin. And tell me... She would tell me to eat out of the bin. Because she said, it's not your father's house. And you don't deserve to eat like one of them. And at first, I used to try and get food out of the bin because I was hungry. But then I just gave up. Sorry. Are you ready to, uh, to keep going? Cool. Thank you. You mentioned that you had a job. How did it feel having that sense of independence finally? I actually started to discover me at work. I started to discover who I was. I got this job and I started to notice a different culture and I quite liked to take some control of my own life in the workplace. But I also wanted to do well because I thought if I earn more money for them, they might leave me alone. And I did make some friends which were very, who were very important in my journey, I guess. Um, 
in my second job that was selling kitchens on the phone, which I absolutely loved because it meant I was constantly on the phone talking to people. I met um, an Indian girl who had a Nigerian boyfriend and we connected because we were both Indian, but she would notice things and she would say, why are your ankles bleeding? You know, why do you have bruises? And I felt I could trust her. So I started to tell her things and she didn't judge. She didn't judge or, or make me feel stupid or silly. She actually would just listen. And then one day she said, you know, my parents weren't very understanding, but they are now because I'm older. Why don't you go back to your parents' house if you're so scared and so unhappy? And I started to, again, dream about things because I was a daydreamer. I started to almost visualize this um, fairy tale of walking into my parents' home and them holding me tightly and telling me that they loved me and they were proud of me because I think that's what every person wants their parents to be like, to give them that love. So I went to work one day and I never went back. I got onto a bus to my parents' house and, and I was sat on the bus and you know, unknowingly celebrating to myself that I'm going back home. I'm, it's something I'm familiar with, you know, it's my home and I'll be able to see my dog and I'll be able to speak to my mum, not even thinking that you never spoke to your mum. Life was never that good at home. What happened when you did arrive home? I wasn't scared for the first time. I was kind of excited to see my family. I hadn't seen them for four years. And my father opened the door. I was a little bit surprised he was at home because it was during the day. It was mid-afternoon. And immediately he pulled me in by my ponytail and dragged me in. And I thought, I've just made the biggest mistake of my life. He took me into the same room in which I was raped. My brother was there, my eldest brother. My mum was there, my sister-in-law was there, and they started to beat me. And this was a different kind of beating. It was almost as though they were determined to kill me. And all my life I'd been threatened that we will bury you under these floorboards, and I really believed they would. I remember my do dog barking in the other room. They'd shut her up in the other room so she wasn't able to come near me, and I desperately wanted out, but I didn't know how to get there. Um, my father is an ex-professional wrestler, my brother's six foot tall, and I was this very thin, small, 21-year-old. And within no time, they'd broken my jaw. They had broken my arm, and I was in a lot of pain. I was literally bouncing off the walls like a little rag doll, and I fell to the floor. You'd never forget what people say and how they say it. And they were telling me I was a disappointment, that they knew that this would happen because I was a girl and they didn't want that girl. They should have killed me from birth. And what they meant by that is when I was born, a lot of girls were put into plastic bags and suffocated and buried in the garden. And I know this because people would come to my mum's house and give birth to a girl and not report the birth, so nobody knew about the pregnancy. So I was always told I was very lucky to be alive and I was really scared of dying. Um, my brother started to kick me, my father started to stomp on me, and they displaced my hip, and there was probably no part of my skin that wasn't cut or covered with bruises or blood. It came to a time where my father held his foot on my throat, and I felt at that moment I left my body 
And I remember looking at myself and thinking, this is it. This is this is it now for you. But I heard something. It sounds strange, but it's what I believe and I know what happened. And something said to me, not yet. It's not your time just yet. And I remember going back into the body and feeling nothing. I was numb. I knew they were still kicking and punching and, and you know, stamping on me, but I wasn't feeling anything. All I was doing was watching blood literally drip from my head onto my nose and into the carpet. And they continued. I remember feverishly looking up towards my mum and my sister-in-law, maybe in a way to ask for help. And I remember them standing with their arms crossed and they were very, very angry. And before I knew it, my other brother walked in, shouted, not here. And they all just disappeared very quickly. And I remember passing out and coming to and passing out. And the door opened and somebody said, they're going to take you to India, ask for help at security. And I thought, what a silly thing to say to me, because if I have my brother on one side and my father on the other, I'm not going to ask for help. And I thought to myself, I'm already dead. I don't want to live anymore. But then this little voice was saying, no, I don't want to die. And I tried to get myself up, but I couldn't. I tried to, like almost like a, a baby, crawl and I couldn't. So I started to talk to myself and I said, if you can get to the door and you can reach the handle, you've only got to get to the kitchen. If you can get to the kitchen, you've only got to get to the back garden. If you can get to the back garden, you will be free. I didn't even know what free meant or where I would go, but I knew I had to get out of there. And um, it sounds very fictional, I know. And I know I look literally like something out of a horror movie, but I started to move and my body was stiff because I'd laid in the same position for days and I was dirty and smelly. And like I said, I was covered in blood everywhere. But I did. I started using this part of my arm and I shuffled forward and I would fall I would internally cry because I was too scared to make a noise. I knew I had a very small window of opportunity before this angry household would know that I'm trying to escape. But I did, and I got to the door, and then I got to the kitchen. And when I got to the garden, my father had this six-foot-high wall, and I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I sat there, literally, and thought, I can't do it. And my dog came. And she was the loudest person. She would bark. She would make so much noise. The neighbours would complain. And I remember touching her wet nose and, and almost begging her not to say anything. And I really believe sometimes in life we really come to a crossroads where we just need one person to say, you've got this, in whatever form they come. And I believe in angels. And I felt she was this messenger or an angel saying to me, Go because she looked up and she looked back at me. And somehow I managed to get on top of this fence and then I fell on the other side in quite a loud way, thinking they might hear me. But I crawled, literally crawled, over to a little park opposite my house and I passed out in the bushes and they never found me. And when I woke up, it was early hours of the morning I have no idea what time it was but the birds were singing and I managed somehow to get to a taxi rank which wasn't too far away and when I got there I had no money I could barely stand and the person that came to me was this white British man and he was so kind and he said who's after you what's happened 
Then I said, my parents are trying to kill me. And he got me into the back of his taxi, covered me with a blanket and said, where do, am I taking to the hospital, to the police? And I said, no, can you take me to my friends, please? And he did. He took me to a place called Market Harbour, which is in Leicestershire, where my friends lived. But nobody answered the door. But he didn't leave me. He stayed with me and eventually took me to the police station. And I remember collapsing in the police station. And I remember the policeman saying what happened, what happened, started to take photos. And um, I told him it was an attempted honour killing. He almost looked disappointed and uncomfortable and like he didn't know what to do. And he said, the best thing for you to do is to get to a hospital and before I know it, I was on my own in a hospital, lying on this bed. Nobody visited me. Nobody asked me who I was. The nurses would come and do their observations and disappear without looking at me as though I was there. I watched the people in each bed and their families. And I knew he was coming at what time. But I also knew that nobody was coming for me. Have you had any communication with your family since since you left? My brother came looking for me 15 years after I had moved out because he had attacked his partner at the time with a hammer and the police had put him into some sort of program whereby he didn't have to do jail time if he put right what he had ever done in his life and he said to them openly that he had attacked me in an honour-killing attempt. And I was scared because... I was still scared of my brother and he asked for forgiveness and I said I forgave you all a long time ago but I just cannot forget. People don't understand why I've forgiven them but I forgave them the moment they did something wrong because that's the kind of person I was. I don't speak to my parents now. I have been continuously threatened and um, haunted by them whereby they have said they will behead me. So I get 30 to 40 death threats every month, not just from them, but from people I don't even know, especially the Middle East. And the way they look at it is if you leave an arranged marriage, they have to kill you to retain that honour. And I understand the importance of speaking out regardless of stigma and shame because they will continue to do these things over and over again. So whoever it is you're protecting, the first and only person you should be protecting is yourself. I don't speak out out of hate for my culture or to bring disrespect to Indians or Sikhs or Punjabis, whoever you may be. It's not for that reason. It's to say that as humans, we should value life. Whether it's born, that child is born a girl or a boy, they are a precious life. And he became very violent pushing me a lot, pushing me down the stairs, pushing me in the wall, grabbing my hair and pushing it into the passenger side if he was driving. And I didn't know I was in a violent situation until things were very serious. And when I was pregnant with my third child, and I was seven and a half, eight months pregnant, and he pushed me down the stairs. I fell he left and I remember 
not feeling my baby move. He looked young, he did look young, but it was after the, the marriage that I knew that he was twice my age, so I was 15, he was 30. I knew, I knew he was gonna rape me, and that's what happened, and it, it became like every single day. Okay, I guess that ended the um, testimony. I didn't get the whole thing I thought I had, but maybe that was all there was to it. And uh, she was beaten by the parents. And uh, being born a female, a, a girl child, nobody liked that. And what I was trying to understand, well, how did the mother survive? What kind of... Household did the mom come from? Because she survived and got married. And I assume the dad wasn't treating her bad, so why treat your daughter like this? But she said they thought she was some kind of evil witch or something. Yeah. But I thank God that he's a God that can bring us out of any situation. So we go into this next song. We're not going to play the entire song, but we'll play a little bit. And when we come back, we're coming back to our next uh, testimony. Oh 
left-hand corner, I saw a, a cross, shape of a cross, shining like the sunlight. Every time I looked, I would see this cross. And I would ask God one question, one word, why? Then I would hear back, because I love you. And then one time, uh, there was a young lady who was staying with, with one of the sisters, and, and she would get up even before we actually start to pray, go to the bathroom. And it was so annoying uh, that either me or Shin asked, like, what's going on? Like, why are you getting up? And her exact words were this, you won't believe me, but I have three demons in me. And so at the end of the worship, I just told the congregation, how many of you felt like cold wind swirl around you? If you did, that's a demonic activity. And then I comes up after the service, he, he tells me, that cold wind that you described, it's inside of me. Well, John, thank you so much for making the time. Your testimony is connected to somebody we've shared mm-hmm. on our channel already. His name is Ide. He's actually the second or third most mm-hmm. viewed testimony on our channel. And so for anybody that's watching right now, you can, you're going to have a link in the description box um, if in case you want to check out that testimony that is intertwined even with uh, the testimony that you are going to be watching today. But, uh, John, today we're focusing on your uh, uh, love story with Jesus and how Jesus encountered mm-hmm. you and how mm-hmm. he's been able to use you then to be able to lead others to Jesus. And so let's start with your life before. Okay. Um, did you grow up in a Christian home? Did you know about Jesus? Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So I did not grow up in a Christian home, meaning uh, before the age of nine, I had very little interactions with church or anything, you know, Christian. My mom did uh, grow up as a Catholic in what's now North Korea. My father grew up as, I would say, a nominal Buddhist. But growing up, we did not attend church with the exception of maybe a Christmas service here and there. No mention of God or Jesus, uh, just life without religion, life without uh, any kind of churchy kind of experience. The first encounter I had, so to speak, was when I was uh, nine years old and I was watching a black and white TV set. Most of the TVs back then were, were, were black and white. And, and the program I was watching was a Billy Graham crusade in Korea. He was speaking 
in front of more than a million people at Yoido Plaza. And I, I, and I remember this uh, because he's in Korea. Uh, back then, if you were to uh, think about Korea, you would draw a blank. The closest thing was a TV show called MASH. And so in 73, 74, there was just very little reference to, to Korea, except for those who are older, they, they might know about the Korean War. But there was no Samsung, no Hyundai, no LG, no K-pop, nothing, or Korean food. I mean, it was not in anyone's awareness, American awareness. So here I was watching this, fascinated about Korea initially, but then as Billy Graham's message is being translated, and at the end of his sermon, he invited people to receive Jesus as a nine-year-old, I just did. I just closed my eyes, and I, I, I knew enough to say, Jesus, come into my life. But that's it. So right after that, nothing happened. It's not like I went to church, but I do remember that prayer. Mm. Many, many years after, while I was in the eighth grade, I skipped school. I don't recommend this to the young people. Do not skip school. But I used to skip school whenever I felt like it <laughs> because my mom and dad would go to work. And uh, if I didn't feel like going to school, I would just stay home and then, you know, write up a fake note that my grandmother died or grandfather died or something oh my terrible goodness. like that. But unfortunately, only got, I only got two sets of grandparents, so after a little while, you run out of grandparents who pass away. So, But anyway, I was uh, skipping school, and I was tired, so I wanted to take a nap, so I turn on the radio, and a preacher comes on the radio program, and he says, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to divide the goats from the sheep. And I knew what that meant enough. I go, oh, no. I got scared. I hopped out of bed. Right next to the bed, I prayed to Jesus. I don't want to be goat. <laughs> I want to be sheep. I need to go to church. I need to get to know you. That was my prayer. Hmm. And then about two weeks later, my father uh, wanted to talk to me, and he said, John, you don't know who you are. You're Korean, but all your friends are American. You don't know who you are. I want you to go to church, a Korean church. There's a new church opening down the street on Wilson Lane in Bethesda, and we were in Bethesda at this time. And as he's telling me this, I knew immediately God is answering my prayer. Because my father's not religious. He, he was just concerned I was losing my ethnic identity because I was hanging out with non-Asians, non-Koreans. Mm. So his concern was nothing to do with God, everything to do with like being Korean. But as he was telling me this, that wasn't my reason. The reason for... My joy, my joy is, oh, no, I'm going to get to know God. Wow. So I started going to church regularly. I enjoyed it in eighth grade, but I still knew Jesus didn't have my complete heart because I remember one session, uh, one of the teachers drew a picture of a chair and the letter E standing for ego and a cross. And she had various versions of this picture. And she said, which picture describes you and the picture i chose for myself is the e the ego myself on the chair and jesus under the chair so even in eighth grade ninth grade or so i knew i loved jesus trusted jesus but even for a teenager i didn't give my heart fully over to jesus i didn't really want to hmm. not until 10th grade so this is when my life 
turned upside down. This is summer of 1982. And so I go to a week-long conference. It was called Institute and Basic Youth Conflicts. A terrible name, but but it was a week-long conference basically for Christian parents to raise up Christian kids in a very strict way. But I was there not because of the youth. I was just kind of there because one of the deacons of the church invited me to go. And I enjoyed it. It was a Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday conference all day. And then on Thursday in the evening, this man, Bill Gother, would do a chalk talk and we would sing. And so so Thursday evening comes around and he tells the, the audience, and he, he's not even there live. It's all videotaped. Okay? <laughs> Somebody just put in a VHS tape and we're watching it so he's not even live and so we all stand up and sing a hymn trust and obey and after we sing that i sit down and immediately i look around and the first thought i have looking around there were several thousand people in this building the old cap center capital center and the thought i have is these people mostly older older white people these people are my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the first thought. Then the second thought was a response to what I saw. So on my upper left-hand corner, I saw a, a cross, shape of a cross, shining like the sunlight. Every time I looked, I would see this cross. And I would ask God, I would ask Jesus, one question, one word, why? And that, then I would hear back, because I love you. I was saying, why did you die for me? And Jesus was saying, because I love you. And this went back and forth, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. It just didn't stop. Why? Because I love you. Why? Because I love you. Why? Because I love you. Just went back and forth. And while this is happening, I am crying. And I'm actually getting paralyzed. I can't open my hand. I'm sobbing like crazy. And I'm I'm taken home by the deacon, and there were two uh, other young people with me. And I am paralyzed in my hands. I am sobbing. And uh, when I'm taken home from Landover, Maryland to Bethesda, I keep on seeing the cross. I keep on asking why. keep on hearing because he loves me. So I go to bed, and as I'm in bed, my one side of my body begins to get actually very hot. My left side is burning up. And it's not just light. It's like intensely hot. And I'm thinking this is a crazy thought. Again, I don't have any spiritual encounters before. I don't even know what language to use. But instantly I think about an old TV show called uh, you know, it's on like a documentary. It's uh, sort of exploring the paranormal. That documentary had something on spontaneous combustion. And so I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to burn to death. <laughs> so I got out of bed, afraid, panicked, went to the bathroom. And so I doused myself with cold water all over my left arm. And it finally cooled down. So then I went back to my room, and then I cried all through the night, playing a song, Jesus' Name Above All Names. It's an old, beautiful song. And I just played that on my tape again and again. And so when I woke up the next morning, it felt like the world turned inside out, upside down. And I began to say to myself, 
If Jesus is real, everything changes. Hmm. If Jesus is real, everything changes. So I'm in the 10th grade, and this hunger to figure out what does that mean. If Jesus is real, everything changes. I need to find the answer to that. If Jesus is real, everything changes. Ha, ha. Like what things change? And I knew immediately how we think must change, how we think about politics got to change, how we think about life has to change. And so even though I was very young, I was driven by this, I would say, truth question. So I went to the Bethesda Public Library, went to the Christian section, like a theology section, biography, and I just started to check out as many books I, as, I, as I could. And I started reading authors later on, finding out some of these authors are famous, like C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, read a biography of Billy Graham by a man named Marcia Frady, and a bunch of other books. So I kept on reading and reading. And then uh, in this biography of Billy Graham, remember when I was a nine-year-old, I saw that crusade. Now I'm reading a biography of this man called The American Prophet by author Marcia Frady. And as I'm reading it, Billy Graham says, for those who are intellectually curious, Wheaton College, Wheaton College is a great place to go. And at that point, I thought... Christian colleges, I thought there were just two, Oral Roberts University and Liberty Baptist College in Lynchburg. I didn't know there was a college, like a liberal arts college, where my questions could be answered. And so I got very curious, and so I applied there. My parents were not happy that I was applying there, but we struck up a deal. If I don't get into such and such school and I get into Wheaton, I'll go to Wheaton. So I went to Wheaton. Mm. Now, now, John, before you move from there, um, leading up to this moment as, as you're experiencing this, are you, as you're asking these questions internally and all of these things are coming up, are you speaking with anybody about them? Is this just you and you're kind of like, man, I need to figure this out on my own? Or were you trying to seek help from other people? Right. So that, that's, that's sort of the sad thing. So there was no one in the church that could really inform me. Again, my parents were not Christians. Right. My dad actually thought I was going a little crazy or getting fanatical. Mm. And so he was actually thinking this is just a phase. And so part of my temperament is a little bit addictive. And so I was that way with tennis. If I, I loved tennis as an eighth grader all the way through high school. So I would practice six hours a day and stuff like that. And so my father thought this he'll just grow out of it. Right. But because I went to a Presbyterian church and the people were not familiar with this kind of strange phenomenon, no one was there to help me. It took me a long time to look back and say, that was the Holy Spirit. Mm. For me, it was just like weird. But the thing I did not deny at all was the love of God. I knew whatever these electricity or heat experiences were, it was really from God. You know, it was really, I felt a lot of love and a lot of peace. Well, and even through that, um, just to clarify, as you were feeling these physical, even manifestations in your body, it was paired up with love. Oh, yeah. yeah like it yeah. wasn't just heat, yeah, but no, it was... It wasn't heat. It, was, it, it, was, it wasn't just sensation of heat. It was love, too, you wow. know. So, so I knew it was God. I just didn't know what what is this. Right, you know? right. So, it was much much later than that. I had the framework and the language 
to say that was the Holy Spirit. Mm. You could call it I was being baptized or being filled or empowered. And so even though I was feeling this, I was not afraid. Even though I had this momentary, oh, no, I'm going <laughs> right. to burn to death. I was in, in a total panic, panic. You know, yeah. I felt uh, some safety. Yeah. You know, so I was reading and, and so I went to Wheaton. And so that side of my personality uh, or part of who I am, I would say the more theological, philosophical, intellectual side got fulfilled in college. But the supernatural continued as well. Um, the supernatural, there's some supernatural stuff, or I would call spiritual warfare, demonic stuff, that also occurred in college. Since college, I've always had some uh, encounters, experiences, some seasons sometimes, a very intense spiritual activity it would wax and wane, but the supernatural never completely disappeared. Yeah. You know, and so that's just how things have been with me. Yeah. You know, I don't question why, but it's just, that's just my story. Again, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I didn't contrast. I didn't say, well, when I grew up as a little kid in such and such church, it's, it's simply the fact that when I encountered Jesus, it was, it was pretty intense, pretty powerful. Pretty riveting. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about that, that warfare, right? Because um, yeah. a lot of the times when we come to follow Jesus, sometimes the picture can be painted that everything is great now. You know, you're saved yeah. and everything yeah. is good. In your um, personal experience going to college, talk to us about what happened next, the questions, the warfare. What happened there? Yeah, so so the warfare had less to do with me directly, uh, but I was involved uh, in warfare, and I'll just paint that for you. And so uh, my closest friend is a man named Shin, and uh, so we were roommates for three years. And Shin is a genuine intercessor, meaning he prays all the time. So even as roommates, uh, he would have the upper bunk and I would have the lower. Often there would be many nights where he would be praying all through the night. Uh, and I could tell he's praying, you know, bed springs would squeak a bit. And, and so uh, in, the, in the middle of our college years, we, uh, we, we were involved in an all-night prayer meeting. Now, the all-night prayer meeting didn't start out with our intention of being, being in praying folks. And so he and I were praying uh, with uh, two, two sisters right before the library would close on Friday. So the library closed early at Wheaton at 9. And so we said, let's get together at 8.45. At least we have 15 minutes to pray. And so we did that a few times. And then one Friday, one of the sisters said, I'm suicidal. I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. Mm. And at that point, we knew a 15-minute prayer is not going to do anything. So we decided to, to pray longer. So we went to the apartment of one of the sisters and, and just being new and, and, and believing in prayer. We just prayed until something changed. And so we prayed for hours and hours that evening. Wow. And all of a sudden, this sister who was struggling with suicidal thoughts is filled with joy. To such an extent, she's like rolling around on the floor. I mean, it's like if you didn't know what was happening, you would think she's like hysterical, gone crazy. 
she's laughing, she's rolling around, she's just full of joy. And actually, that joy stayed with her for days and days and days. And and then thereafter, word got out that this little prayer meeting uh, is powerful, that if you want healing, just come to it. <laughs> hmm. And so the all-night prayer meeting came about because of that one night praying for a sister who was suicidal. After that, different people would come, and we would pray for people, like with eating disorders, they would get healed and different things. Wow. And then one time, uh, there was a young lady who was staying with, with one of the sisters, and, and we were beginning to pray. We would worship first, and she would get up even before we actually start to pray, go to the bathroom. And it was so annoying uh, that either me or Shin asked, like, what's going on? Like, why are you come getting up? And her exact words were this, you won't believe me, but I have three demons in me. And so we said, well, tell us what happened. And so she told us what happened, that she was in high school. She had friends who were part of a satanic club. This was in Maryland. And one of her friends said, hey, uh, if you want to, would you like to be a bride of Satan? We're going to have a ceremony tonight. And she thought this was all a joke. And she said, sure. And so they went to a classroom, darkened the room, put a metal chair in the middle of the room, told her to crawl to the chair, and the moment she touched the leg of the chair, she would become a bride of Satan. And mm. so up to this point, she's just thinking, this is just a joke. This is just for fun. They turn off the light. She, she got on her fours, crawled to the chair, and as soon as she touched the metal leg, she felt three spirits enter her. And she could see them. She could hear them. Wow. And they befriended her. They say, if you want to be popular, you just listen to our advice. And so she did. And she became a great flatterer of people. She would, she would know how to talk to people. And pretty soon she did become very popular. And at the same time, there was some trouble, you know, skipping school, lying, and so forth. She was becoming too hard to raise. So her mom sent her to where we were, to her aunt in Illinois. We... Wheaton is in Illinois. So after she told that story, we thought very simply, one, the Bible, people cast out demons. So we said, we're going to cast out the demons right now. <laughs> so in Jesus' name, we would cast it out, and the demons would say things like, we're gone. But, you know, of course, when they said we're gone and they're still there, they're not really gone. And, and was this the first time that you were doing yep, this? first time, and it was really intense. Day after day, hour after hour, hours and hours, we would read Psalm 121, and we just couldn't figure out why the demons wouldn't leave in the name of Jesus. This actually went on for two weeks. Wow. Uh, one day I wasn't there. The The noise from the prayer, prayer, the deliverance prayer was so loud, the neighbor of the apartment called the police, and the police came and, and looked at the group. The police officer said, well, you know, just in case she's got some men, you know, mental health issues, you should take her to the hospital. And so uh, our friends took this young lady to the hospital, checked her out, nothing wrong. And, and so, so she was brought back. And to clarify, John, when, when you talk about the noise, was it that there was noises coming out of her? What oh, exactly? Both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the demons, at this point, we didn't know enough to quiet the voice. Uh, so there were voices. But she would be supernaturally strong, too. So she's 16, petite, 
for example, I would grab one one of her arms and she would like bench press me. I would wow. put my full weight and she would be able to just push me up without any problem. And then the noise came from us praying out loud. I mean, that's you know that's why the neighbors complain. Yeah. And so, long story short, <laughs> the woman, the young, the student who was freed from suicidal thoughts was in a class and she heard from her teacher there is a woman named Dr. Rita Brown who's going to do some deliverance in the small church in Indiana like two hours away. When we found out, we thought, you know what, let's drive this young lady two hours to go to Indiana. And, and so we did. And with me sitting in the back seat with this young lady I'm wrestling her because the demons are physically manifesting, and so it was a long two hours. And so we get to this small Pentecostal church in rural Indiana, and Dr. Rita Brown is there, and I learned a lot from her. So she asked the young lady, tell me your story, and then she said, because you invited them in, you have to cast them out. We didn't know that. We didn't know that there's a certain protocol or sequence. Mm. And so she was led by Dr. Brown to deliver her stuff from the demons. The first one came up pretty easily. Second one with a little bit of struggle. The third one, the strongest one, was so strongly embedded that it was very difficult for this young lady to cast it out. And and the demons would, would give her pains. She said it's like knives stabbing her stomach, like like a metal rake going through her intestines. She was in such pain. Wow. But with encouragement, she was able to cast it out. So that was, you know, that was the first exposure. But then thereafter, I don't know how the word got out, people found out that me and our group did deliverance so then other people would come and we did pray. And, and so that was the start. You know, that was the start. And some version of this continued when I was in seminary and doing youth ministry and when I go overseas. And so if I were to add up all the deliverances I've done or been involved with, I would I would I would say it's around, I don't know, three hundred. Wow. I mean some are in large groups, you know, like five, six people would be delivered. And I will say this is one ministry I'm not personally that interested in. <laughs> you know, it's like I like the prophetic but not so much the deliverance. But again, I'm not going to argue with the Lord. I mean, if he wants to use me, I'm I'm glad to be used. Yeah. I, I'm curious to hear your perspective on that because, you know, in today's time, this has been a ministry that it's being highlighted a lot in yeah. media. Yeah. Uh, but I'm interested in your yeah. in your perspective as to you saying that's not something I'm particularly interested in. And obviously, you are obedient to the Lord, like you said, yeah. when he calls you to do it. But why is it that... That's not a ministry that you're particularly interested in. You know, there's always uh, one is the counterattack. You know, sometimes when I would go on mission trips and I had our daughters, uh, the spiritual warfare sometimes include physical happenings or accidents. It's not it's not all in your head. It's not it's not all in the spiritual realm. And so people who do this kind of ministry often will get attacked by the enemy, you know, demons. And mm. so one of the more vulnerable ones are babies. And so my wife one time said, can you stop going to these retreats doing it? Because, you know, our girls are getting hurt. They're getting into accidents. And so 
that's that's one minor minor thing. There's always some kind of counterattack, backlash. Wow. So I just I'm a man of peace. I don't want conflict. Yeah. You know, but but even though I don't want conflict, that doesn't mean the conflict doesn't occur. So that's that's a part. Uh, the, I think the other part is when you're dealing with evil, it's inherently kind of yucky. You know, it's it's like getting your hands dirty. There's nothing really clean about it. Although I'm messy, I'm clean. If you come to my house, you could tell my room is all messy. But all our bathrooms are really clean. <laughs> I like clean hygiene. So when I do the deliverance, there's an element of a messiness. Mm. You know, So those are the negative. But, but in all seriousness, uh, I know it's important. So I've never said no to the Lord. But there's just certain things. And I don't even know exactly why. I've never liked like horror movies. I never like being scared. That whole realm of the spooky, spiritual, dark was never an attraction to me. And maybe because of that, I'm not that interested. But uh, I do like the freedom that people right. experience. I like the, the after, you know, the outcome of a deliverance. Yeah. You know, but the, sometimes the process itself could be a, a little bit messy. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's it, yeah. Now, you had... One of one of the people that you that you helped was actually one of the witnesses that we interviewed, mm-hmm. and his name is Ide. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that and what happened there. Yeah, so that that episode is pretty vivid in my mind. And so our friend I was a non-believer, a faithful. I was I would call him a a, a devoted Buddhist, devoted Buddhist young man. And one Sunday, he visited the church. And during worship time, I felt cold wind swirling around people. And and my thoughts are not even on I. There are other people there. I mean, the church folks. But as we're all worshiping, I felt this unusual cold air moving around people. And so at the end of the worship, I just told the congregation, I want to ask you, how many of you felt like cold wind swirl around you? If you did, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you that that's a demonic activity. Mm. That cold wind is demonic activity. So I just want to pray for that to, to stop so that we could go forward. So I remember mentioning that very clearly, and then I preached. And then I comes up after the service. He, he tells me, that cold wind that you described, it's inside of me. It's not outside of me, but it's inside of me. And I understood immediately that he was demonized, that the demons were inside of him. That's why it was swirling on the inside, not on the outside. So at that point, I asked him, even though I didn't know him that well, I I invited him to come to the house. I said, this coming Wednesday, you know, I want you to come to the house uh, and we could talk about this more. And so that following Wednesday, he came. And this is early spring. He was wearing a hat, gloves. So when he said he felt cold wind, cold, he was like physically cold (laughs) all the time. So he came to the kitchen, and and we decided to, I I asked him, I gave him a Bible and said, you're going to read the Gospel of John. Let's read one chapter per week, and you could come back and we could talk. And so, but when he came to the house, I I described very briefly what he was experiencing. And essentially, I said, I, you know, if you want to be free of this cold wind, 
inside of you, the only person who could help you is Jesus. If you have Jesus in your heart, in your life, he will cast out that cold wind. Would you like to have Jesus in your life? And I didn't know this, but he was prepared. He said yes. So right in the kitchen, he accepted Jesus. And I said, I want to see you next week. One week later, he's, he's there. He's read a chapter of John. He comes in, and he's still wearing a hat and the glove. And I said, any development, any change, I? And he goes, the cold wind is no longer inside of me. It's on the outside. <laughs> and, and I said, hallelujah. Hmm. I knew the demons came out of him. So I explained, even though the demons came out of you, sometimes they're hang, hang around and try to harass you. And so we prayed some more. And then the following week, I noticed as I opened the door, he's got no hat, no gloves. And I asked him what happened. And he tells me he was in the library. He started feeling warmth from, the, from his foot all the way. For the first time in months and months, his body felt warm. And I told him, that was the Holy Spirit. You're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And, and you know the rest of the story from I, the lights would come on and off. A lot of strange supernatural things happen around him. You know, noises in his home, his father seeing somebody in the car, you know, et cetera. And so I remember that episode. And that's a great story, <laughs> right, of, of demons leaving because of Jesus. And so that, that's a beautiful story that I, I love to tell and remember. That was the beginning of a wonderful relationship, friendship, you know, with I. And, and it's still ongoing. John, who is Jesus to you? I only have words, right? That's it. <laughs> only have words. And, and so just like it's hard for me to describe, uh, you know, who, who is your mom to you? It's hard to use words to apprehend, fully encapsulate, you know, uh, my, my thoughts of Jesus. Uh, but if I were to use words, that's the only way I could do it. Jesus is number one, real. It goes back to my 10th grade self, is Jesus is real. Everything changes, but everything changes because he is so real. So in my mind, Jesus is not like a religious figure or philosophical concept or somebody I'm supposed to worship. In my life, in my thoughts and feelings, he is as real as you, Eric, as, as my wife, as my kids. Amen. And when I say he's real, his, his feelings, his thoughts, his purpose, his affection, his tenderness, all those are real to me. And so not only does he exist, but his, his, his personality, his character his thoughts are just as real as, as, as any human being. Mm. You know, so I would start there. And then the wonder of it all is that Jesus is real as God. Everything that's meaningful, every, everything that happens, everything that's created are found in him. All things are made through him and in him and and so those thoughts are kind of mind-blowing. And so at the same time, he, even though he's as real as any human being, he's, he's, of course, more than any human being. He's more than all humanity put together. But in my day-to-day, -day, I just love the sort of the humility, realness, gentleness, sweetness of Jesus. And sometimes his, uh, his, 
uh, authority. You know, Jesus is more than someone who's tender and soft. Uh, he is also scary, not in a bad way, but he is awesome. Mm. And that's the fear of the Lord for me. God is awesome, therefore I bow down. And, and sometimes I feel that way as I'm in Jesus' presence. This is this whole combination, the whole spectrum, tender and mighty, sweet and strong. He, he captures it all. But on a day-to-day, I just love being loved by Jesus. Mm. And I love being with him. And I think that's why my favorite person in the Bible, I think, is the Apostle John. And when I read the letters of John and the Gospel, I there's a kind of connection with the Apostle John that I have. And I think Mm. it's because for John, the Apostle John, the love of Jesus was so sweet and real. And and so I appreciate that too. Mm. John, for the people who are watching right now who may be relating to some of the symptoms that you have described in other people who you have helped be set free, whether it's the whirlwind, the cold wind, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. whether it is the depression, mm-hmm. the suicidal thoughts. Yeah, yeah. For that person who's watching right now, what is a word of encouragement that you can give them to help them overcome? Right. So so I tend to think of two groups of people in this related to this topic. And so if you're a Christian and you have some demonic interference, there are certain signs. And one of the signs are it's difficult to worship it's difficult to pray. It's difficult to even read God's Word. And so sometimes when I'm preaching and I, I, I can see people are demonized, they'll fall asleep during my sermon. And it's not because my sermons are boring. It could, it could be. <laughs> but often when it comes to spiritual things, the demons would try to make the believer dizzy, not mm-hmm. interested, sleepy, irritated, confused. Mm-hmm. So these are all possible signs. Now, these are interesting because when they're doing anything else, like cooking, doing sports, watching TV, they're like fully alert and happy. But when it comes to anything spiritual, all of a sudden they lose interest. So th- that, those, are, those could be a sign. Uh, along with uh, these physical signs of coldness or pain or voices. Uh, and, and so there are set of symptoms for believers and basically when you're trying to get close to God for whatever reason there seems to be an obstacle a barrier or sort of a numbness you can't quite feel God and you feel a little numb disconnected so these are possible signs I'm not saying each and every time you have this you have a demon uh, but you may uh, these these signs may indicate a demon for those who are willing to do this, uh, I would encourage uh, folks to come before the Lord and, and, and just say to the Lord, Lord, if there's a demon in me, please show me whether there is a demon. Or you could even address yourself. If there is a demon, I command you to leave. But before you pray that leaving, think about how you've been living. The demons do not just come and go. They don't, it's not... They're not in like a revolving door. And so think about how your life is going. And if you're caught in some kind of habitual sin, sometimes that invites the demonic. Sometimes there is trauma that invites the demonic. 
sometimes when there's a lot of unforgiveness and anger, that invites the demonic. Do a little inventory of what's been happening. And where there's bitterness, unforgiveness, these could be access, you know, openings for the demonic. Now, for non-believers, the only way to be set free is to have Jesus. I think the demonic activity just goes hand in hand with living in darkness, just like I. That's natural for the non-believer to be in the current of the demonic. It's just normal. That's what darkness is. And people have some some level of the demonic in their life if they're a non-believer. And so when I think about non-believers, the, the true freedom, the true solution is to have Jesus. So for those non-believers, even if they get prayer from a Christian and get the demons off of them, well, guess what? They're going to come back. You're not safe. You, they're going to invade you again. Hmm. The borders are not secure, so to speak. They'll come right back again and sometimes stronger. You know, so for a non-believer, as I did with I, I say, if you really want to be set free, you got to have Jesus. And so I don't do a whole lot of deliverance for non-believers because in the long run, I don't think that's of great benefit because the demons will come right back without knowing Jesus. But with the believer, what, what I actually do uh, in, in our church and in, in, my, in our ministry is to do what's called soul care, the demon and inner healing and counselor try to get a picture of how the demons came in and why they're there. And, and usually there's a bigger story involved, you know, some sin, some being sinned against, some family history, some curses, some occult. It really depends on each person. So each deliverance for me is individual. There's no like a generic solution, but individual. What, but what I would encourage everyone is most deliverance occurs without people knowing about it. There's a great book called Spiritual Warfare Sideways. It's, a, it's not a real well-known book, but it's worth getting. It's written by a man named Guy Chevreau, G-U-I, uh, Chevreau, I think, C-H-E-V-E-R-E. And he looks at the ministry of Heidi Baker and the Spanish ministry in Spain. And the book is about deliverance. And his observation is much of the deliverance in these two ministries occur as people worship and get close to Jesus. Mm. And when I read that, I go, that's it. As you draw near to God, demons cannot stand it and they will voluntarily leave. Wow. And so often when people get into intense worship, and they leave, they feel lighter. You could ask them, like, how was that? Oh, I cried, and I feel so light. Mm. Some of that lightness is because the demons left. Wow. You're no longer burdened. So that's what I would encourage everyone. Instead of getting into the details, just draw near to the Lord. Give yourself especially in worship to the Lord, and you'll feel things lift off of you. And you could also just simply ask the Lord for discernment. Lord, please let me know whether I'm struggling with this. The Lord knows best. Yeah. You know. John, for those people who are excited to do some of these things, and uh, maybe some who are still troubled and maybe are doubting, could you just pray for whoever is Amen. watching yeah. on the other side of the screen? I, w I would love to. So, so Lord, you know my story and you know the stories of those who've encountered your delivering power 
So for each and every person watching this who might be struggling in this area, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name for your deliverance. May it come through discernment. May it come through worship. But first, may you encourage every heart that there is freedom on the other end. Freedom for every believer in Jesus who's been harassed, oppressed, even demonized. There is 100% freedom in this area. So I silence the voice of the enemy that would tell them otherwise. I speak against hopelessness, despair, and even suicide. And for maybe uh, the non-believers, the few... The non-believers who might be watching this maybe out of curiosity, I just pray, Lord, that you would set them free by having them receive you, Lord Jesus, to encounter you, Jesus. We confess we are living in darkness, in, 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 in heavy darkness, with a lot of confusion, where good is wrong and the wrong is good, left and right. I mean, it's just, the language is just replaced with, opposite terms and so we are living in a season of tremendous confusion but you lord are the lord of truth and freedom and so you may may you speak to every person through this uh podcast through this uh video set us free and we thank you that you are the lord who sets us free this we thank in jesus name amen Did you know that God can change your life with just a short prayer? Say this powerful 3 a.m. prayer faithfully and with all your heart. No matter how you feel and no matter your circumstances, say it sincerely. Then Jesus will change your life in a very special and profound way. Your life will never be the same. Leave a like for this video and share it at least one time to help me reach more people, spread the gospel and change more lives. Comment using the word, Amen, after you say this powerful 3 a.m. prayer. I urge you when you wake up at 3 o'clock to clothe yourself in this prayer. Use this time to seek divine protection, to secure your homes, your loved ones, your health, your finances, and your dreams under the watchful eyes of the Almighty. This prayer time is a fortress, a shield that guards us from the assaults of the enemy, the Bible tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So pray this prayer with faith, and know that your prayers at this sacred hour build a hedge of protection that nothing can penetrate. Praise God. Now, to everyone within the sound of my voice, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, I come before your presence with a humble and contrite heart, seeking your divine protection and deliverance. I acknowledge your power and goodness, recognizing that you are my refuge and fortress in times of trouble. I declare your sovereignty over all creation, knowing that you alone have the power to break every bond, defeat every evil, and overcome all darkness. I stand on the authority of your word and the victory won by Jesus Christ on the cross. Gracious Father, 
I lift my voice in prayer, fervently seeking your divine intervention in every area of my life. I pray for your protection, breaking the chains of bondage that have held me captive for far too long. In the name of Jesus, I command every evil force, every curse, every spell and every power of darkness to be broken and rendered powerless in my life. I renounce and reject every generational curse that has been passed down through my bloodline. I declare that the power of the blood of Jesus sets me free from the bondage of the past. I break every negative pattern, every cycle of addiction, every stronghold that has kept me from experiencing the fullness of your blessings. I declare that I am a new creation in Christ, empowered to walk in freedom and victory. I release forgiveness from the depths of my heart, choosing to let go of any bitterness, resentment or unforgiveness that has hindered my progress. I break every soul tie and unhealthy attachment that has bound me to toxic relationships or unhealthy influences. I ask for your healing touch to restore and reconcile broken relationships, bringing wholeness and unity. Mighty God, I pray for your divine protection over my mind, my thoughts and my emotions. I rebuke every spirit of fear, anxiety and depression that has tormented me. I declare that I have the mind of Christ and I am filled with your peace that surpasses all understanding. I take captive every thought that does not align with your truth and I replace them with thoughts of faith, hope and love. I pray for your divine protection over my physical body. I declare that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and I present it as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. I rebuke every sickness, disease and infirmity that has tried to attack my health. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed and made whole. I speak life and health into every cell, tissue and organ of my body. I release the healing power of your Holy Spirit to flow through me, restoring me to full health and vitality. Heavenly Father, I pray for your divine provision and abundance in every area of my life. I declare that you are my provider and you meet all my needs according to your riches in glory. I rebuke the spirit of poverty and lack and I release the spirit of prosperity and abundance. I am blessed to be a blessing and I sow generously into your kingdom. I declare that I am a channel of your blessings and your abundance flows through me to bless others. I pray for your divine wisdom and discernment in every decision I make. Guide me by your spirit that I may walk in the paths of righteousness. Protect me from deception and lead me into all truth. Grant me understanding and clarity as I navigate through the challenges of life. Open my spiritual eyes to see the hidden traps and snares of the enemy and give me the wisdom to avoid them. Lord, I pray for your divine protection over my relationships and interactions with others. Shield me from toxic relationships, manipulative individuals and those who seek to harm me. Surround me with godly friendships, mentors and advisors who will encourage me in my journey of faith. Grant me discernment to navigate 
through different personalities and relationships, always extending love, grace and forgiveness. Father, I pray for your divine protection over my spiritual walk and growth. Guard me from spiritual attacks and the schemes of the enemy. Strengthen my faith, deepen my understanding of your word, and fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Protect me from false doctrines and teachings that seek to distort your truth. Empower me to live a life that is pleasing to you, honoring your name in all I do. I pray for your divine protection over my dreams, aspirations, and destiny. Lord, I surrender my plans and desires to your perfect will. Guide my steps, direct my paths, and open doors of opportunity aligned with your purpose for my life. Protect me from distractions, discouragement, and doubt. Help me to walk in faith and trust, even when the road ahead seems uncertain. Gracious God, I pray for your divine protection over my finances and resources. I declare that you are the source of all provision, and I trust in your abundant provision for my every need. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of lack and financial bondage, and I release the spirit of prosperity and abundance. I ask for wisdom and discernment in managing my finances, that I may be a good steward of the resources you have given to me. Lord, I pray for your divine protection over my purpose and calling. Guard me against distractions, discouragement, and the attacks of the enemy that seek to hinder me from fulfilling your will. Grant me boldness, courage, and perseverance to pursue the dreams and visions you have placed in my heart. Protect me from comparison, self-doubt, and the fear of failure. Empower me to walk in the fullness of my calling, making a significant impact for your kingdom. Father, I pray for your divine protection over my spiritual armor. Clothe me with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Help me to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, resisting every temptation and walking in obedience to your word. Protect me from spiritual warfare and surround me with your host of angels to guard and defend me. I pray for your divine protection over my words and actions. Help me to speak life, encouragement and edification to others. Guard my tongue from gossip, slander and harmful words. May my words be filled with grace and seasoned with salt, bringing healing and hope to those around me. Protect me from the snares of the enemy, that I may walk in integrity and reflect your love and truth in all I do. Lord, I pray for your divine protection over my journey and travels. Guide me safely in all my comings and goings. Protect me from accidents, negative incidents and unforeseen dangers. Surround me with your presence and keep me in the palm of your hand. Order my steps and grant me discernment to make wise choices and decisions. I pray for your divine protection over my mind, thoughts and imaginations. Guard me against the lies and deceptions of the enemy. Fill my mind with your truth, renewing and transforming me from the inside out. Protect me from negative thought patterns, worries and anxieties. Help me to fix my thoughts on things that are true, noble, just, 
pure, lovely, and of a good report. Father, I pray for your divine protection over my dreams and desires. Guard my heart from discouragement and delay. Surround me with your favor and open doors that no one can shut. Protect my dreams from the attacks of the enemy and grant me the wisdom and strength to pursue them with diligence and perseverance. I pray for your divine protection over my spiritual life. Guard me from spiritual blindness and dullness of hearing. Open my eyes and ears to perceive your presence, your voice, and your leading. Protect me from distractions and busyness that hinder my intimacy with you. Help me to cultivate a deeper relationship with you, abiding in your presence and walking in line with your spirit. Lord, I pray for your divine protection over my family and loved ones. Guard them in every area of their lives. Protect them from harm, danger and evil influences. Surround them with your angels, encamping around them for their safety and well-being. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you shield them from every attack of the enemy and grant them your peace and joy. Mighty God, I surrender every aspect of my life to your divine protection. I trust in your unfailing love, knowing that you are my strong tower and my shield. I declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I take hold of your promises, standing firm in the authority and victory I have in Jesus Christ. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want you to say Amen in the comments section below as you give thanks to God and claim this prayer. I declare that all the blessings of this prayer are now upon you in the name of Jesus. Listen to this prayer for seven days and watch the Lord do miracles in your life. Why the number seven, you may think? Seven has significant meaning in the kingdom of God. It is a holy number that often represents completeness, perfection, or divine fulfillment. So if you can say this 3 a.m. prayer on this channel for the next seven days, you can expect something extraordinary to take place in your life. Be sure to share your testimonies in the comments. Also, send this prayer to your family and friends who you know needs the blessing and protection of this 3 a.m. prayer. May the Lord...
So long, bye-bye. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Goodbye to my troubles. Goodbye to my pain. Anything that's not of Jesus, goodbye, goodbye, because we believe. I said I would share that 3 a.m. prayer with you, and I did. I put it over on my face, I mean, my Facebook page, and I should put it in Jesus in the morning. So those who want to read it for seven days, you're welcome to. But I thought it was a powerful prayer. And some people can't sleep, and some people waking up 3 o'clock in the morning, and they told me that was the demonic thing. When you wake up 3 a.m., you know, close to 3, around 3-ish. Yeah, so I thought that was a wonderful prayer, and I want to share it. So I put it over on Jesus in the morning. And if you email me, uh, freedomdoors at yahoo.com, I will send it to you. Yeah, yeah. So look, we're 23 minutes and 49 seconds and are left in the show. But if anyone have something they would like to say, even if we run into overtime, that's fine. Feel free to press that number one and come in this morning. Hallelujah. Good morning to you, Sister Rita. God bless you this morning. Good morning to you, Marcion. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you, Minister Shonda. Good morning to you, Sister Irene. Good morning to you, area code 813. Good morning to you, Sister Dorothy Goodman. And a good morning to you, the main man holding that chat room down, Brother Louis. And good morning to you, Sister Sherry. God bless you this morning. So we are moving right along. And if no one has anything they would like to say, I will pray us out. And we will go to our last song of the morning, praying that the Lord bring us back here tomorrow morning. 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. And area code 813, first three number 646. Anytime you want to introduce yourself to us or remind us of who you are, we're more than happy to have it. We're more than happy. i like to know uh, who's in the studio, and we've given away some prizes right now, and I'd like to have that information, your name and things. So well, your number is pulled because I put you in the uh, basket because I saw you coming quite a few times. I mean, in the box. So when your name is pulled, oh, tell Sherry, I say, hey, good morning, Sherry, good morning. <laughs> Brother Louis' wife, Sherry, said, hey. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And so um, we're pulling out that box. And again, this week, Brother Ampton is the winner, and uh, he won the uh, – what they're saying is the uh, printer for your cell phone. What they call it, OIS or Android. Yeah, it'll work with either one. Uh-huh. So we thank God. Listen, we're going to pray out and go to our last song of the morning. And again, we pray the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. And let me say this. I may not be here in the morning and I may do a late show tomorrow. I may just do like a a 12 o'clock to something show tomorrow or later because I have a dental appointment tomorrow morning. And then in the afternoon, I got to go see Maximilian, the knee doctor. So um, I, I may not get to do the show at all. But on Thursday, we pray that the Lord bring us back live. And I, I believe the topic on Thursday is going to be he is. 
Hallelujah. Who is he is? Ah, yeah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all that has been said and done. Thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for the prayer, 3 a.m. prayer. But God, I pray that prayer anytime because you're never too busy to hear or to answer us. We thank you, Lord, for your word today. It's yet a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Father, as we depart this morning, we hope that we lift you up and you could draw someone unto you from our lifting. Remind us that the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Help us not to get aggravated and, and all of these things and have patience for your people in the name of Jesus. For Lord, we never know when our name or number is coming up and we need somebody to have patience and love for us. Help us today in the name of Jesus as we depart this morning. Father, again, bless our going out and bless our coming in. Meet the need in our lives this day, October the 17th, 2023 according to your riches in glory by your son, Christ Jesus. Father, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent, one from another, in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus with somebody and give somebody something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you today, October 17, 2023, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye and have a blessed day, and we're going to our last song of the morning. Later, Taylor, Louie, you and Sherry, y'all have a blessed day over there.
searching for a heart that will love him. Longing for a child that will give him their own, you know. He wants it all. Lua, after a while, share with Crocodile. <laughs> ah. 